Welcome to Healing with David, a space where we lead with the heart, lean into the science, and dig into our soul to address the root causes of our physical, emotional, and spiritual imbalances. But we don't stop there. We go into the inner work, struggles, and shared experiences of walking this path towards our best self because, let's face it, it can get tough. I'm your host, David Delgado, integrative health practitioner and fellow traveler with you on this journey towards optimal health and wholeness. Let's begin. Hey everyone, welcome back to Healing with David. Uh, In today's episode, we have Hein from the Microdosing Institute. And if you listen to my other episodes, you know that I've spoken a few times about my own microdosing experiences as well as the psychedelics industry at large. And microdosing in particular is touted for many benefits, including alleviating depression, lowering anxiety, and a multitude, and addressing a multitude of other conditions. But as we all know, or as some of, especially those that have listened to previous episodes, it's not all so rosy and it's not such a linear path when it comes to healing with psychedelics. And I had the pleasure of encountering the Microdosing Institute while I was in Amsterdam at the Biohackers Summit. And I really appreciated the, their approach to educating on microdosing as well as using other ancient modalities to combine that with microdosing. So I have the pleasure of welcoming Hein here to guide us through a conversation around intentional microdosing, some more nuanced questions around strains, finding the right dosage, microdosing versus macrodosing, and much more. So thanks for coming on to the show today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, David. Looking forward to this conversation. So let's dive into it right away. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And so just to start things off, I'd love to learn a little bit just about yourself and how you found yourself on the path of working with psychedelics as well as any other modalities and just how you found yourself in this space of educating, guiding, and healing others. Yeah. It goes back a long way. I'm 50 years old now, and I was first uh, encountered uh, psilocybin when I was 17, I believe. Yeah. So it's almost uh, 32 years ago. Uh, I was totally intrigued by the potential healing power of psychedelics in general, uh, heavily influenced by the books of Carlos Castaneda, uh, the first Western spiritual books uh, around shamanism and psychedelics. So yeah, that, my path started back then already. And because I was the only one in my neighborhood who had access to LSD and, and psilocybin containing mushrooms, I was finding myself guiding people uh, at a very wow. young age already. So uh, yeah, every every week that people said, hey, I'd like to try it, but I don't want to do it alone. So can I please do it with you? So before I knew, I, I was, uh, every week I was guiding people. So yeah. Uh, and what, what was it like to guide teenagers? I, I'm just curious on the setting of that and what that looked like, because obviously there was a lot less content and guidance. So you were making up your own rules almost. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as a, like a, a space holder or a trip sitter, I was also participating. So, so we didn't knew that, that somebody had to be sober or something that that was like yeah when i started my uh, microdosing institute back in 2017 then i came to find out that people were space holding not taking anything but uh, aside of that 
Yeah, it's just building a, a safe uh, environment uh, on the beach or in the forest uh, with a campfire and, and nice music mm. and uh, people you trust and yeah, be there for them and yeah, let every everything unfold and uh, what comes uh, if it's crying or laughing, everything is allowed and. So yeah, the, the key word is of course surrender, and you have to yeah create a safe space to do that. Of course, so I was able to do that uh, for a little, yeah for most of the time. Uh, sometimes we could get into some trouble or something, and of course, <laughs> yeah, like on festivals or crowded places, uh, sometimes it can get a little bit. Let's uh, say uh, I, I always call it extreme setting <laughs> when we had these. Uh, Things, but mostly they were quiet and and safe containers. So yeah, I, I I got I got all these experiences to to it, it's not really guiding; it's just uh, holding space for someone. And uh, after I got my education of NLP, neurolinguistic programming, I started to implement some subtle technique sometimes. For, yeah. for those that aren't familiar, do you mind just explaining very briefly what neuro-linguistic programming is and kind of how it works just at a high level? Yeah, it's another word for transformational coaching. Uh, it's uh, like it's coaching and it is all kinds of different techniques uh, scrambled together. So so there's some hypnotherapy and it's gestalt therapy. Family, I don't know what it's called in, in English. Family constellations? Or? Yes, family constellations, okay. uh, those kind of things. So every effective uh, techniques are gathered uh, by the founders of NLP. And so, yeah, whatever is expe- uh, uh, effective in that case. And it's all surrounded around uh, linguistics. So the language you use and how it's... I have to uh, get used to the English. I have to switch because I'm from Holland. Of course. So, so yeah. So in short, it's all about the language and reprogramming your uh, your behaviors and your yeah uh, your the things how you amazing perceive the your reality. Right, and and I could see how that's a very potent combination with psilocybin and other um, psychedelic medicine. So yeah, thanks for, that. thanks for that definition. So that's helpful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, and that's what I came to find out when I stumbled upon microdosing because after 30 years of experiencing the high dose journeys and uh, how I came on to microdosing is because one of my best friends, he suffered from cluster headaches. I don't know if you know what it is, but uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the worst headaches you can ever imagine. It's a brain freeze. If you eat ice cream, brain freeze times 20 and that, let's say, one and a half hour long. And these cycles of headaches come. And he had that, he suffered there for that, uh, for let's say 20 years. And we always took a high dose of psilocybin containing mushrooms to abort his cluster headaches. And uh, that helped him very well. But you can imagine that if you have work and you have children, then it's very hard to plan a high dose journey if you feel these headaches coming on. So he, a lot of times he was too late and, uh, yeah, sometimes it didn't work. So we have to, uh, see, see that in perspective, uh, it, but so, yeah, uh, so eight years ago, he decided to, uh, step out of life and that was a shock for me, of course. Uh, uh but I, uh, yeah, I soon, uh, re researched why this 
mushrooms that is illegal in most countries. And these mushrooms don't know that they are illegal, uh, but it is a it is a medicine or a re, uh, let us, uh, let's say an, an aid for people with cluster headaches. So, so then I decided to do some research on all these papers and that are around. And then I stumbled upon microdosing and asked myself, could that have been a, a preventive medicine for people with cluster mm-hmm. headaches? Yeah. Because you don't trip, you can do that during your daily routine. So yeah, let's say like a paracetamol, you can take it and go by your day. So I wanted to find out. So that is actually how I came on the path of microdosing and tried it for myself. And the first time I took it, I was like, like, okay, this is such a tiny amount and I can still notice it. I was totally amazed because I (laughs) was only used to high dose journeys. And so I thought, okay, let's claim all the domain names around microdosing. So microdosing.nl. You remind us what year this was? I just, just to, it was back in 2016. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 So, so I decided to think I have to build a website around this, but I don't know why, how I was not able to build a website. Uh, and then I came to, into contact with Jim Fadiman, uh, who is the rediscoverer of microdosing. Uh, yeah. In the U.S., he's quite uh, famous. Uh, he's like a living legend. He's one of the the, the pioneers of psychedelic research uh, back yeah. in the fifties. He's also, uh, if people saw the, the documentary "How to Change Your Mind," he's in one of the episodes also. And I came in, into contact with him, and uh, he be- we became friends. And we had uh, at first we had email contact, and later on we did Zoom and. Inspired by his work of uh, gathering uh, anecdotal stories uh, and doing search instead of research, but just search by gathering these anecdotal stories, uh, inspired by his work, I decided to build a platform in Holland because in Holland we have magic truffles and they are, they contain psilocybin and we can, they are legal here in Holland. So we can openly discuss this, the effect of uh, of this microdosing truffles. So, so yeah, that is how it started. And we wanted to map why people were microdosing and what the pros and cons were and mm-hmm. just give uh, such a, a realistic viewpoint because I was very skeptical at first and mm-hmm. I have a, like a, a sober view on, yeah, if I were to approach this, I have to uh, research it as objective as possible. And of course that's not possible, but, uh, yeah, I wanted to give a, a, a realistic viewpoint on how you can safely microdose and how to get the most out of it. So, so, and then, and we, yeah, one of my friends, she, she organized the microdosing Institute with the psychedelic society of the Netherlands. And so then 80 people came. And, uh, there was a lot of interest in it and yeah, we decided to invite, uh, the university of Leiden and Amsterdam. And so we all took a microdose and before we took it, uh, they did some cognitive tests and after, uh, the intake of the truffles, uh, they, they did this, they repeated the, the tests, cognitive tests, and they found out that there was an increased or a change in convergent thinking and divergent thinking. So out of the box thinking and, and zooming in, uh, into mm-hmm. it. So, 
So yeah, that was quite interesting. It was also the first microdose event in the world. And it was also the first mm -hmm. research paper that was published actually. So yeah. And then, uh, we decided, Hey, there's so much interest. Let's build a website. Can you help me out? And then it started. And, uh, wow. That's such a, an amazing story. And really, I, I can see how I, first of all, I really admire the courage of reaching out to James Fadiman and didn't sound like you had a very specific idea. You just were following your bliss. Like you knew that there was something there really powerful story with uh, your friend that took his life. And I've definitely heard about this, this use case for psychedelics a uh, for cluster headaches. However, I've heard it a little bit more with LSD than psilocybin. So it's really interesting to hear that it's extremely effective with psilocybin as well to treat cluster headaches. Yeah. And yeah, there's, there's a slight difference uh, that for people who, who want to, uh, who to prevent it, so to prevent the cluster headaches, people take psilis, uh, take the LSD, uh, but if they feel it coming up and they want to abort it because like within half an hour, they, it's coming up then because psilocybin, the onset is very uh, fast. So within 20 minutes, you can already feel the psilocybin, especially if you take it under the tongue. Uh, but for LSD, it takes uh, like at least one hour to, to kick in. So. Yeah. So that's how they take it. And there's a beautiful website. It's called clusterbusters.org and you mm -hmm. can find all the information if you want to know more. Okay. I, I had to, had the privilege to, to interview the, the founder of, uh, so if you check our YouTube channel, you can find that interview. Okay. So yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead world. and I'll pull out that interview and throw it into the uh, show notes and mm -hmm. the description. So anyone uh, listening to this, you could uh, definitely find that there as well as clusterbusters dot org found yes. statement. Okay. Fantastic. And just to the amazing story on how micro you, on the maybe cut a little bit because you are freezing and I, I your audio is gone, so I can't hear you. Okay. Uh it should be a little bit better now, but usually when we record, you know, even if it's cut, it'll it, it actually captures it. So oh, let, okay. me know, let me know when I'm back. So yeah. Just, okay. uh, we're good. Okay. Yeah. Cool. We'll cut all that out. So yeah, fascinating story and really amazing. A great example as far as following your bliss and really feeling into what you were called to do and bring about the Microdosing Institute. So it sounds like there's a couple of different trailheads for it. There's the educational aspect. It sounds like there's like a research arm as well of creating and publishing valid cogent scientific research around microdosing. Is that correct? Is that like one of the tenants for the Microdosing Institute as well? Yeah. So at, at first we just, it was community driven. So community okay. is key. Uh, every story, every experience from someone else can be valuable for another person. Mm -hmm. So, so that was our first uh, goal or mission, like to bring people together to find the others. So we did microdosing events and meetups and, uh, and like a webinar, uh, seminars where we invited the researchers and I soon came to find out like, okay, I have to build a bridge to all the researchers that wants to do the research. So at first only the contact with Jim Fadiman, but later on we collaborated or assisted them, uh, the, the Imperial College in London, uh, Maastricht University and other universities, uh, just because we had the community. So yeah. We wanted to motivate other people to, uh, to participate in that research because we soon came to find out that these critics or journalists 
they wanted to know more about microdosing, but we wanted to uh, avoid that they just thought, oh, we're just a group having an excuse today to use drugs during the day. So, uh, yeah, how do you tackle that? Is that, okay, we can only say uh, or claim uh, proof that uh, mm. if it's medically proven or, uh, or, or research proven. So, so yeah, we uh, started to assist them. Like, okay, uh, that's how the ADHD study came mm. came uh, forward. This okay, there are a lot of people in our community that microdose uh, as an alternative for Ritalin or Adderall. Follow them. So that that was published. Uh, half a year ago, and I believe there was another study published one month ago with promising results, and that led to uh, uh, funds and subsidized for clinical yeah. studies. So that wow. is how we operate. So we don't write the, the studies ourselves because I'm not a researcher, but we do the search and they do the research. So yeah, okay, okay, nice. And are these studies on your website? Or are they published? Like, where can one find some of these? Studies on microdosing. Yeah, we have a general web uh, page on on research, but we need to update it because it's okay. going so fast. So we had a Dutch yeah. version, uh, but now I have to update it with all the recent research. Uh, uh, but there's one research that 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 has a summary. Uh, it's by Vince Belito, and he has a beautiful uh, overview of all the research that has been done on uh, on microdosing. Uh, I, I can share it with you. That is, uh, I think, the best way to go. And, uh, Amazing. Yeah. And there is a proliferation of research and a lot of um, interesting use cases that are coming about. And actually, ADHD is not one that is talked about enough, in my opinion. It's usually much more around uh, treatment-resistant depression. So that yeah. seems the bigger one. Yeah, especially in high doses. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. audio is going again. But uh, yeah, especially in higher doses, uh, it, it, it is focused on resistant depression. But yeah, the, the majority of the microdoses, uh, they do it for personal development and personal growth. So mm-hmm. uh, for spiritual uh, uh, purposes. Uh, but and then the other percentages is, is uh, people who are looking for alternatives uh, for SSRIs and antidepressants. Sure. Um, again, burnout, ADHD, uh, PMS, uh, we're now doing a study on PMS. So every, oh, nice. every yeah. woman who is listening and is interested in microdosing or is already microdosing and want to participate because yeah, we really, yeah, need to find so, out if, if, if how people, does, uh, one participate? So you mentioned it. Can, can yeah, it's on our website. Too. So we have a okay. research page and there you can click on, uh, participate or research. And uh, so, yeah, then you and uh, can you be uh, located anywhere in the world? Yeah, being... all these like all these studies are mostly online. So when it's a clinical okay. study, that that that's where it starts to get uh, really uh, challenging because like, uh, if it's in uh, a city or somewhere in Holland, of course, then only people from Holland can participate. Sure. Uh, but the beauty of these uh, field studies are, uh, online is that you can do it at home and yeah. People are trapped sure. because microdosing is so hard to measure. Uh, you can imagine the first clinical study, uh, the LSD finding study in the Maastricht University. They invited people and they wanted to find out if microdosing uh, could get you more creative. But of course, if you're in a clinical setting and you only take one microdose, it's not really 
a creative setting to do uh, a, no, a stupid test on 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 uh, on your computer uh, to try to find if you are getting more creative instead of being your in your natural habitat and sure. just being in the flow of your creative uh, creativity or something. So yeah, it's very hard to measure. Uh, okay, and they're still yeah. finding ways to measure it. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, even just keeping up with my own microdosing protocol, I had a, a notion template or notebook that I would journal three times a day. And even with that meticulous of things, I feel you just still miss a lot. So yeah. shift gears a little bit. You talked a little bit about your experience with macrodosing and journeys, as well as your foray into microdosing and the development of the microdosing institute. So curious on what the differences are in terms of what are the best use cases, if any, for macrodosing or journeying versus microdosing. So this is more to discern like which one would be best for what use case how do they support healing and growth in different ways what roles do they play in one's relationship with plant medicine yeah good question from my own experience and what i've seen is that yeah of course so, uh, for some people it's it, a high dose journey is uh, it all has to do with where you are in which process of which phase of your process you are if you're sure. ready for a high dose journey and for microdosing, it's a little bit easier. So, and uh, it's easier to step in and, uh, getting to familiar uh, with, with the potential healing power of, of psychedelics. So if people have, have anxiety or are a little bit afraid of a high dose journey, then microdosing would be best. But for some people, microdosing is not sufficient enough or like the combination of so so i see the role of microdosing as a preparation to towards a high dose journey so with microdosing you and that is also what we do with our coachings and guidings is that we bring these people to the level of that that they are can receive these insights uh, and then a high dose journey is very powerful yeah uh, and yeah and uh, and after that microdosing is and that's what we believe is that we believe that the, the, uh, when these treatment become available, uh, that microdosing can be of help with the integrations of the insights. And, okay. if, and uh, for anyone who already uh, who took a high dose journey, is that these insights can come like a hurricane with such a oh, surrealistic, yeah. a very a sometimes confusing insights, and uh, it it takes a long time sometimes to really integrate and, and consolidate these insights and with microdosing some uh these insights come with a jet as a gentle breeze more so so and it's over a longer period of time and because you are doing it dur during your daily routine sometimes these like these insights come oh yeah i realize now because yeah you're more aware of your patterns and your triggers and your strategies and your excuses yeah. and those things that that come become more aware. And sometimes, although these insights come as a gentle breeze instead of that hurricane of insights during a high dose, that can yeah that can really help you to integrate it uh, in a slightly easier way. So for okay. me, uh, these high dose journeys insights like universal insights of. Uh, Everything is connected mm -hmm. and all these kinds yeah. of beautiful yeah. concepts really, yeah, uh, hit me during my daily routine, still having the connection with 
with the plant medicine or the earth medicine, we call it, because of course, uh, fungi is not a plant, to, to stay connected and build a relationship with these earth medicine and, mm. and stay connected to these insights also and yeah. integrate it. That's interesting. I, I, like you, started with uh, macrodosing journeys and then found my way. And that's just because of life and the lack of uh, availability and education at the time. But that's a, that's a really interesting framework. And a lot of what you said, uh, it could have almost come from my own mouth as far as just being aware of your triggers and insights and the gentle breeze of all that. So it really resonated a lot and really reflected my own experience with uh, with microdosing. So I'd be curious. Oh, I have one question, actually. So one, so we've talked a lot about microdosing and macrodosing. And I want to be clear on what we're talking about with microdosing as far as the dosage is concerned. And my understanding, for the most part, is it's somewhere between, for psilocybin, that is, between 50 milligrams to 250. And this is uh, not truffles. Is that yeah. kind of your operating? Yeah, then, uh, there's a, you have to be really careful uh, when you talk about psilocybin. Because in uh, in the states, truffles are not that popular or uh, around. Uh, we I might mean, because we can't process the truffles. We take it them fresh. We, yes. we can truffle, uh, process them, but it's illegal actually. Uh, so a lot of people just take fresh. But let's stick to uh, the psilocybin containing mushrooms, and they already they always dry. So it is around that. But uh, the the most important pitfall around microdosing is that you take someone else's ideal dose. So he wow. says, Hey, I have a high, I have, uh, I microdose with, uh, 250 milligrams of, uh, of mushrooms. Uh, that can be really, uh, challenging if you are very sensitive. And at first we thought it all had to do with your body weight. Uh, but there was one study, uh, that, that came to find out, and of course, it's very logic that if you are having overweight, it doesn't mean that your brains are bigger or more sensitive or whatever. Right. So it all has to do with metabolism because in the gut, there's also these 5H2A receptors that binds to, so, so psilocybin binds to these 5H2A receptors and they're also in the gut and in the brain. So if you have an unhealthy gut householding, some people with overweight have that, uh, then they're less sensitive. So you need to take more, but we are still in the process of finding out how that really works because sure. you can't measure that or something. So, so yeah, so we're, it is speculation, but, uh, it all has to do with your tolerance, sensitivity, metabolism, and maybe body weight, uh, how sensitive you are. So, so yeah, so, but the definition of microdosing. Uh, is you take a, a, a tiny amount of a psychedelic, for instance, LSD or psilocybin or San Pedro, mescaline or ayahuasca, mm. and you take that over a longer period of time. So you don't take it one time, you take it for, let's say, one month or maybe two months, but you take it uh, and then you try it and find if it works for you. And you take it uh, with a certain protocol. So let's say one day on, two days off. Sure. One day on two days off. That's the Fadiman protocol. And we work a lot the Microdose Institute protocol. That's every other day protocol. Okay. And that suits, uh, people with ADHD, with burnout and depression a little bit better because Jim Fadiman, he had the research protocol, his protocol, and that was designed to have a microdose experience day, uh, a transition day because 
with high dose journeys, you feel an afterglow of two to four weeks. And with microdosing, people okay. report having the next day also having a sort of indirect effect that they feel reset and reborn. And the third day was a break and it's called a normal day to look back on what's the difference between a normal mm. day and a microdose day and, uh, and report back to him. That, that was the research protocol. Okay. But yeah, people with a burnout, people with depression or just want to feel better. They don't want to do research or much the difference. Uh, they want to keep yeah. the momentum a little bit. So that's why in, in collaboration with Jim Fadiman, we decided to find out if that protocol worked and that really works for certain people. Interesting. Yeah. I, I followed the Fadiman protocol just because if you spend any amount of time on the internet and look at microdosing protocols, that's going to be the most accessible one most of the time. Yeah. I'm very curious about this one day on two, uh, every other day. Every basically. other day. Yeah. That's really fascinating. And so I'm curious hey, on hey, a third type of... Hey, hey, and now Spark wasn't clear. Okay. Okay. So let me know when I'm back. Yeah, you're back. Okay. So I'm curious about a third type of working with, with earth medicine, which is we're talking about the macrodose, have the microdose. Is there any benefit to a small dose? For example, something like 0.5 grams to one gram in that mid range. Is there, has there been any research or any experimentation or any citizen science on working with earth medicine in that way? Yeah, that, let's say uh, we can talk. Uh, yeah, there's of course not only microdosing and only high doses. There's a wide range between it. Sure. And if we talk about the sweet spot, that's the ideal dose on that you can function normally during your daily routine. Right? That's a, an ideal microdose, but it's not a fixed thing. It's okay. Just uh, you have to be able to do everything you do normally during your daily life let's say uh, driving a car or going to your work and do a presentation or working on your laptop. But if you have a different setting, then you can take slightly different amounts. So you can imagine if you have a day off and you go in nature, uh, then your ideal dose would be a little bit higher, let's say 0.5. And that's mm. of course a mini dose. You can't work with that or you can, it's not that, it's, it's not that, Taking too much or taking mm. more is sure. unpleasant, but it gets unpleasant if it's if it's taken in a setting that's not appropriate for that. Of course. So that is how you can play with uh, these different amounts. And okay. the higher the dose, the more be the important the setting becomes. And that's why in high dose journeys and ceremonies, they 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 create that in a very safe container with no other. Uh, yeah, with with no other people or around and uh, yeah, distractions. Yeah, and and then just one last point on this is, what would you say the difference is in, or who would you advise to microdose with LSD versus psilocybin? Because I know there's a lot of emphasis now on psilocybin, not as much with LSD. I feel like it does get a lot less attention, and I think it's, but it's actually there's some very amazing research on it. It's actually arguably up until recently, even more researched than psilocybin. So just curious on your thoughts on, you know, where this fits and what kind of, what is the quality of the experience like, um, versus psilocybin? Let's say. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm always a little bit uh, cautious when it comes to advising people. Of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. In, oh. in the sense of, uh, it's very hard to 
put a finger on like, you have this issue and then it's best to take that substance. Because of psychedelics in general have uh, their catalysts, their like uh, non-specific amplifiers. And so it all, I think in my opinion, it all has to do with your own energy. And if psilocybin resonates more with your energy, then you can get the most out of psilocybin. And it doesn't mean that if you are depressed, then for instance, psilocybin is better than the other. It's just mm. like some people who are depressed, they need a kick in the butt and they need some energy to, to go by their day. And then LSD could be slightly a better option because uh, in comparison with psilocybin, LSD also binds to the dopamine receptors and it has a longer direct effect of, let's say, mm. eight to 12 hours, let's say eight to 10 hours. Uh, in comparison with psilocybin that, that have a direct effect on four to seven hours. Uh, the indirect effect uh, lasts a little bit longer and let's say two days. And it's not a direct effect, but still people feel like everything is in the right perspective again. Yeah, you are feeling more reset and more in the present moment. And that is actually one of the... Uh, there are two benefits or two effects that people have a positive effect with microdosing. And if it doesn't matter if it's LSD or psilocybin, but these positive effects are that they feel more in the present moment and they feel more connected to themselves and more connected mm -hmm. to nature and the surroundings. And these two effects can lead to all kinds of benefits. Uh, and for some is being more creative and being more in the flow. Sure. And for other people, it's more like a decrease of uh, depression or yeah, just more mental balance. It all depends on where your intention is uh, moving to or yeah, connect, be connected to. Yeah, absolutely. That, no, thanks for making that delineation. And I do think that's extremely important. What you pointed out is that the, you mentioned the psychedelics are non-specific amplifiers. I believe the term itself means like mind manifesting. So that's uh, that's a really important point of not taking such a traditional clinical view of these compounds. I've personally found LSD to be very stimulating as far as just quality of just using other medical terms. I've found psilocybin to have a more yin quality, not all strains. And that's another thing we can talk about. And LSD to be much more yang incubating in quality. I haven't uh, validated that even in a communal group setting, just because I know so few people who have worked with LSD compared to psilocybin, uh, but that's just been my own personal experience. So that's interesting that I didn't even look into the dopamine receptors aspect. So that's really fascinating. Yeah, um, that's why it's more stimulating actually. And, and yeah. people get more productive and that's why though, yeah, in Silicon Valley, uh, these stories about like being more productive and uh, yeah, okay. having more energy and focus. Uh, and yeah, that's more related to LSD and the mental balance and emotional balance and being more yin, as you say, is, is more around psilocybin and you want to do more like it's very, that is also very uh, good synergy when it comes to combining it with yoga or meditation or practices like, uh, like breath work or yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I definitely didn't take LSD originally for focus. So that's really interesting that <laughs> they brought that, that was their orientation. But so now that we talked a little bit about microdosing, you talked about dosage itself. Curious about some of the biggest mistakes that you see people that maybe are not doing this in community and with guidance 
kind of fall into with microdosing. So just curious if you've encountered certain patterns with people who are looking to get, looking to develop a relationship with psychedelic medicine, especially in microdosing, but just some of the mistakes and mishaps that kind of come about. So just curious about that. Now that we've covered a fair bit of ground in terms of microdosing, would be curious just to see based on your experience, what are some of the biggest myths or mistakes that you see with people that are trying to introduce microdosing into their life? Yeah, like I mentioned uh, before, the the biggest mistake is taking too much uh, in a, in the wrong setting. Okay, so so people are starting to try. Uh, they're trying microdosing, and they take a tiny amount. And they, if they uh, uh, read the advice, uh, you do it on a day off with without any obligations because you are taking something and you have to first be familiar with it and get to, getting to know it. So you're doing that on a day off. And then you don't feel anything and then you think, okay, uh, within two days, I'm going to take it again. And then you don't feel anything at all. So you upper the dose again. And then the third time you think, hey, I have to go to work. And last time I didn't feel anything. I can take a little bit more. And then you take that automatically too much, go to your work. And then you get really surprised about the effect. That is the most common pitfall of microdosing. And... The other myth, of course, is that people think it's a solution to their problems. It's a quick fix. It's a, it's the magic bullet. Of course, these media articles claim all kinds of things. And I can talk a little bit about that. But the main thing is that it's not a quick fix. It's not a, it's not a solution to your problem. Also with higher doses, it just increases suggestibility. It opens the window of opportunity because you are yeah yeah you are seeing and become more aware of your triggers and your uh, patterns and those kind of things but you still are this the main character yourself you need to do the work microdosing and high dose journeys only show you and point out where you need to work on and so the myth is that it is a solution to your problem because it it yeah. it's an aid it's a support it's an a very healthy option in uh, breath work and yoga and sure. meditation to to be more in the present moment to feel more connected. Yeah. Mm. Okay, that's very helpful. So taking too high of a dose in the wrong setting and believing that it's going to be a magic bullet and that uh, I wish someone had told me that. Although I didn't feel it was a magic bullet, but my first microdosing cycle had some very challenging moments and. Uh, because I wasn't in community, I thought, oh, well, there's something clearly wrong with me. There's, I'm not doing this right. So just to kind of segue, you mentioned a moment ago that there was an opening when you take a macrodose in particular. So I'd be curious to hear how you can best support the neuroplasticity or the neuroplasticity opportunity that's available to people that are working with psychedelics. Like what kinds of practices, habits, things you can do to really make the most out of your experience with microdosing? Yeah, that's a good one. We always advise for people to keep a journal okay. uh, because during your experience, you sometimes get a, 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 a moment or a realization or an insight or just and not writing whole stories, but just writing one word or something. And I had the... Uh, when I first started, I, I kept a journal and after three weeks, I decided to read the journal. And uh, looking back, I saw a red thread uh, in my journal 
hey, I had a fun moment with my children. And hey, I, I, they had more respect when I uh, uh, mentioned a few things to them. And I, looking back on that, was like, hey, uh, I felt more empathy towards them. I could be more in their world. And that's why I got uh, more respect from them. They listened to me uh, more well than normally when I'm being the... The, the bad cop and only say that you can do this and you can do that. So, so keeping a journal is very important, uh, but mm. also setting an intention. And of course you don't have to do it, but setting an intention is, is, it's not a goal that you want to achieve. It's more something that you want to be connected to that day. Like for instance, uh, my self-trust. And if you have an affirmation and you say, Hey, I'm thankful to be to feel trusted with myself and go by my day with a disciplined, healthy attitude or something else, then you, you give direction to your day. That is also very important. And some people say, yeah, but then you influence the outcome and that's a placebo effect. And of course, <laughs> placebo effect is around. So there's definitely a placebo effect, uh, mm-hmm. but whole life is a placebo effect. So. Every expectation influenced the outcome. And they knew that already in the 50s. That's why set and setting became so important because they already knew that if you influence your mindset and if you influence the setting, then you have an an outcome that is so that is so embrace the placebo effect. But there's more than just the placebo effect. They measured then measured blood and other things so they can measure a microdose. So that is, so that is important and also build in micro habits during your day. Okay. So check in with yourself. Uh, how's your paw, your pose? Yeah. Be mindful of your breath and just instead of motivate yourself to change and break your patterns, just building tiny micro routines that really helps to, uh, yeah, to get the most out of your microdosing journey. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely very, very helpful and a good kind of barometer. And and I think that just been my experience is that personalization and making it your own, being creative with your microdosing is so important. But having these kind of general guidelines allows for you to get creative with whatever those habits are and how you want to check in with yourself if it's yeah. breath work or meditation or while you're washing the dishes, even mindfully, whatever it happens to be for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And microdosing helps with that. And, and the most, I think the most important is your own mindset. So okay. if you are starting a microdosing experiment, then also please be gentle to yourself. Okay. Uh, being more aware of patterns doesn't have to be an advantage at first. It can also be frustrated. Okay. I'm sure. doing it again. I'm doing it again. But if you have self-love and sometimes people lack self-love, but if you be more gentle and say, Hey, the first two weeks, I'm not gonna jump conclusions. I'm not gonna uh, judge myself. I'm just gonna observe myself what is happening. Uh, and, and with that observation and with that space, you are allowing yourself that will lead to, uh, yeah, that will lead to, uh, 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 get the most out of it. And I always say that there's a saying that, that be between the trigger and response, there's a space. And within that mm. space, there's your freedom. And it, it looks like microdosing is stretching that space a little bit. So yeah. between your trigger of the pattern, your embattled pattern and the response you have, 
there's that space and microdosing and psychedelics alters time perception. So it seems that space is a little bit longer and you find the freedom to choose a different emotion or to choose a different thought. And yeah, I think that that's where the magic happens that's, with microdosing. That's really, it's a really interesting point. I love that, the stretching of that space. And I mean, we touched on it a little bit with your expertise in NLP, but I would imagine that's a really amazing opportunity to start to work with that gestalt therapy, hypnotherapy, where you yeah. identify some of those patterns, some of those beliefs behind the reactions. A lot yeah. of the quote unquote negative emotions start to unpack like how they serve you or how you've used them actually as a survival mechanism or whatever the patterning is. And that's actually a really, yeah, very deep aspect of the journey is to really stretch out that space and fill it in with something new or rewrite. I think in the case of NLP is what they usually yeah. talking about it as. So curious, this is actually a question that I've had for a little bit and something that I've experimented with as I'm working with psilocybin in particular. And the question is, what differences, if any, have you found across different strains? Or is the difference simply the concentration or is or the three different strains have different kind of properties inherently of themselves? And I'd be curious on your experience. I had my own because I've worked with about six strains at this point and just does. But yeah, yeah. Let, let you well, take to, it. Be, to be honest, I'm not, I, I didn't dive uh, so deep uh, to that. We have okay. the truffles and they are legal. And of course, people are microdosing also with uh, uh, psilocybin containing mushrooms. Uh, sure. But because I work closely with uh, a truffle farmer, he's 80 years old and had been growing wow. mushrooms and truffles for 30 years in Holland. And he said, yeah, okay, all these things contain psilocybin. And with these different strains, especially cubensis, they don't differ that much. It is, of course, also the subjective experience that that's, that is every time it's different that will uh, that that will give you the conclusion. I, I, I had a, a great trip on uh, Golden Teachers instead of Penis Envy or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, he says there's not a, a really much of a difference mm -hmm. in these strains. But to be honest, I didn't do the research in that case. Okay. Uh, yeah. in, in I think in America uh, or in the US. And so I think you can tell me a little bit, bit more than myself uh, around this topic, actually. Okay. No, I appreciate that. And so I haven't done much research on it, or I've tried to, but there wasn't much credible research available. Instead, I've been focusing on my subjective experience and note, and there's like a circle of friends that I've microdosed with as well and noticed that there were some patterns when we took certain strains, they had some qualities like just at a basic level, some were more stimulating, some were more euphoric, others were a little bit more introverted like Golden Teacher, for example, some felt more like ceremonial and very spiritual in quality and others felt really uh, like more sociable, like very light, so to speak. So, but yeah, yeah. it's very interesting. And I'm sure we'll get more research on that. In yeah, the I think so too. Um, yeah, we had one interview with Felix Bly. He, uh, he invented or developed a, a quantity test kit. Uh, oh. So you can measure how much psilocybin is in it. But of course, these mushrooms have 14 alkaloids in them. So you can imagine that these entourage effects can, can influence it. 
I think yeah. I, I still have to meet the first person that, that can differ the, the different strains with a microdose, with high dose. I can imagine it's easier to detect, uh, especially when there's, for instance, uh, a lot of biocystin in it. Uh, Paul Stamets, who is the famous mycologist from Fantastic Fungi, he, he explained a little bit about biocystin. There was one mushroom uh, uh, that growed and there were a lot of biocystin in it. And it helped him with anxiety of flying a plane or something. So, and that's also what I feel with, if I take uh, the Copalandia, that's a Hawaiian uh, mm. mushroom, they, they seem that they contain a lot of biocystin. And for me, the, the onset is easier than I feel less anxiety. Okay, it's coming up and then sometimes yeah. a little bit anxious or something. And with that, it's, it's much smoother and seems more colorful. So there is certainly is difference, but yeah, I, I would love to, uh, yeah, to have more information on which strain is, is better for people with anxiety or it, it would be better suitable for people with depression. That would be great. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So curious, like now, especially I went to the conference, I've been to Wonderland over Miami, another psychedelic conference, and just have been over the past two years, really diving deep into this space more for personal reasons. It's not something I incorporate in my natural health practice yet because I don't don't have the training yet. But I'd be curious on your perspective on the commercialization of microdosing and how that's been approached so far, what your perspective is on it, let's say in the US, Canada, Europe, some of the companies that have arisen from it, the way that it's being portrayed either in the media or even by these companies themselves. Yeah. Uh, it's out there and you can't stop it. Uh, when we started in 2017, when we launched it, uh, we were the first uh, platform around microdosing uh, together with the third wave, uh, Paul Austin. Uh, but he is now also focusing on psychedelics in general. Yeah. The, all these companies come up, uh, come up, especially Oak in Holland, like in, in 2020, the first microdosing shops came around. I founded uh, a microdose shop, uh, in 2018 because we wanted to fund and be yeah. independent of, uh, be independent of, uh, investors or donations or whatever. So we decided to sell our own truffles to, to cover our cost with our platform. But yeah, we were a little bit concerned actually, because these companies want to make money. And what, of course, if you mislead people to, to sell your stuff, Hey, take this candy or these gummies or whatever. Right. Uh, and then it get, gets rid of your depression. You mislead a very vulnerable group of people who are open to, to try it. And so, so I think it's, uh, it's not nice to mislead these people. That's why we were always so focused on having, giving a realistic viewpoint on what microdosing really is so that people have the, the right expectations. And if you have the right expectations, you get the most out of your microdosing journey. But if your expectations are too high or you think, uh, it's the magic pill, then yeah. It doesn't do that for you because you expect too much of it. So, but on the other hand, I believe psilocybin uh, or magic mushrooms, sacred mushrooms have their own agenda. So they have their own intelligence and they have something to teach us. 
mainly that we need to, to focus more and be more mindful of the nature and taking care of nature. And so be connected to nature. And so one of the concerns of the companies in Canada and America, which is that they make it into gummies or whatever. So it's more like a candy. And then you lose the relationships you want to build with that earth medicine that the indigenous people, tribes that had been used for thousands of years. And it's important to respect that knowledge. And we are very happy that they get, uh, that they have spread that knowledge. And then, and also, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's really important to respect the, the, this powerful uh, medicine. And you lose a little bit of the grip if you commercialize it, uh, but it's hard to stop. And yeah, we'll see, we'll see where it's leading. Yeah. As long as we don't make the same mistake as in the sixties. And, uh, uh, and that is why I mentioned before, like microdosing is for me, a hidden agenda to the Trojan horse, have, uh, yeah, uh, microdosing into general society. And then, yeah, then people talk about it, that they're not afraid about it and they, they, sure. they talk about it and then they learn in a very safe way how to work with psychedelics. So. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I, I love your hidden agenda. So, <laughs> so I noticed that the Microdosing Institute does have an emphasis on healing and community. And would be interested in a lot of the commercialization of microdosing really takes is a, an extension of our late stage capitalistic society and focuses on the individual that healing happens alone. I send you this package. There's an online course, maybe like a WhatsApp group. That's it. Um, but largely, you're on your own, um, pretty much following a pharmaceutical model in many ways. And I know that from the beginning, earlier in the podcast, you had mentioned that building the community and bringing the people together was the first thing you did. Yeah. And I just want to highlight the differences between what it's like to be in a microdosing group, healing and community, and what that role of community really is, what the medicine of community really is yeah. in relationship to the microdosing. Yeah. What? Because of that microdosing in a lot of countries is illegal, a lot of people also can't can express themselves or talk about it in their surroundings. Uh, so, yeah. so finding the others is really important. Uh, apart from like that group therapy can be really powerful because although you're in your own process, your personal process, uh, if you share that with other people, then you can just come to find out that someone else's process really contributes to your own that you can relate to their words or some uh, so yeah. so so that is the, the, the power of group therapy and that is why in our six-week coaching programs we decided to to do that in a group instead of doing one-on-one -on -one coaching and sometimes for individuals it can be very really helpful and uh to share in a one-on-one -on -one setting uh but yeah the community aspect of uh, doing it together and sharing your experience uh, when it is in, in a Facebook group. But what we normally have is support groups every first uh, mm -hmm. Monday of the month. We get together on Zoom and people from all the world just share their experience. And we are not like educating them. It's just, hey, please share your stories. Of course, we have questions sure. and some uh, themes or something, but it's really valuable. Every time we learn, and that's also the most important why we uh, are community driven, is that we are learning from the community. 
instead of just educating it. But yeah, we are learning it and mapping it and then uh, gather that information and share that again with the community. And that's how our programs are developed. So, and then there's also, we, yeah, we first did one-on-one coaching and uh, gathered this information and then we decided to do group coaching. So we have six week programs where we guide people through their journeys. And then we got a lot of questions of professionals and coaches and, and uh, therapists that they want to work professionally with microdosing. And of course, it's not rocket science or, or, uh, or really uh, hard, but, but yeah, we decided to, to gather all the information and the, the people in the field who have a lot of expertise around certain topics decided to build a program around that. Okay. Also, because like we're, we strongly believe that within a few years, there will, uh, high dose journeys will become a treatment in combination with psychotherapy. And we believe strongly that microdosing can play a role in the integration and aftercare of these treatments. Amazing. So then, yeah, we need facilitators for that. And it's not that we know it all, but, uh, we work with Jim Fadiman. We work with researchers. We work with the spirit pharmacist who knows all about the contraindication of medication and psychedelics. So we give people that stage and do master classes and, uh, that, that, and most important that we all work with certain code of ethics, uh, uh so that we are, yeah, uh, having the same values and profile ourselves in a, a realistic way on your website, for instance, the language sure. you used. So that is why we find that important. And yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful. And it's good to know that you actually have a practitioner or facilitator training. So that's really great for any therapists and coaches that want to incorporate that into their toolkit. Yeah. So just to close things out, I'd be curious around how you feel or how you would like the microdosing space to evolve over the next couple of years? Like where do you, from where we're sitting now, it's become very popular. I wouldn't say it's mainstream because it's really just people that are into the health and wellness space that are, that it's mainstream among them. But curious how you, where you see this going at this point, now that you have fantastic Mm -hmm. fungi, the Michael Pollan effect, micro or psychedelics being put on a really good stage. And the perspective has just shifted very drastically in a short period of time, especially Mm -hmm compared to when you were serving psychedelic medicine in your teenage years. The important, most important when we started the, the platform is uh, to end the stigma still surrounding psychedelics, like uh, right. uh, the, the Michael Pollan effect or the How to Change Your Mind documentary or book really helped to end the stigma uh, that people really see, oh, I think I have, it, it's worth to approach the use of psychedelics with an open viewpoint, uh, instead of the Indian stories that, that, uh, the government in the U S mainly, uh, spread in the sixties, uh, all of these Indian stories and on how to change your mind, they are explained. So our first main goal was like, okay, how can we end the stigma? That's okay. Let's make it discussable and that we can discuss this with an open thing and also highlight and emphasize the research because they are really promising results with these re- psychedelic research also. So, and then we, we Westerns forgot the traditional use of, uh, using plant and earth medicine and uh, indigenous people, uh, uh, tribes have been doing this for thousands of years. The first 
cave painting, right, with magic mushrooms, but now 9,000 years ago. And uh, so, yeah, we forgot that. So we wanted to reintegrate the use of psychedelics into the general society. And microdosing is a really good tool to do that uh, instead of just high dose journeys. And so, so yeah, these two things were our, our mission and we continue to do that and until it's uh, getting mainstream. But yeah, it's okay that it's become more mainstream. Uh, there are people drinking coffee every day. Uh, so yeah, we see that microdosing can be a tool and people just incorporate it into their daily routine. So yeah, that this becomes normal, uh, instead of drinking alcohol every day, for instance. Uh, uh, so yeah, um, we hope to see in the future that it becomes mainstream, but that people, uh, work with it with respect, uh, instead mm-hmm. of just like Taking it to be more productive, for instance, being more productive is not a goal on its own. It's a side effect. If you are feeling more connected and feeling, having more mental well-being, then of course you get more productive. But if you're only taking it to be more productive and be be more competitive to your other companies, for instance, then it can also lead to a burnout or whatever. So, so yeah, yeah, uh, you have to be mindful of, of. how to use it yeah and like you mentioned the mushrooms have their own agenda and i don't think that contributing to the degradation of humanity and the earth is probably one of them so i don't think that they would i don't think they would allow that productivity to last too long personally yeah (laughs) yeah and the the beauty of using psychedelics is if you misuse it or uh, abuse it let's say then it definitely will teach you a lesson like oh, in yeah. comparison with other drugs, uh, yeah. like cocaine or ecstasy or something, yeah, you can take that for a long time and you don't see the mistakes you make or the, the, the health issues you get. But with psychedelics, it will definitely uh, whip your ass if you uh, abuse <laughs> it. And the beauty also is that it builds up tolerance very quick. So people who are abusing microdosing or abusing high-dose journeys, it it will just... Yeah, the effect will uh, wear off very quick, so. Okay. So just wanted to check in. That was like all that I wanted to touch on and wanted to see if there was anything else that you wanted to share that we hadn't touched on today so that you're feeling complete with today's conversation. Yeah. uh, First of all, I really love the conversation and I hope that that we covered some things that people uh, can relate or can do something with it. And so, yeah, if they're interested in microdosing, they've never done it or whatever, please do your research. That's the most important thing. Just don't go with an advertisement and just think, oh, I heard something about that and just take it. Please do your research and, uh, and start low or go slow, uh, on that. And yeah, so, uh, and so, yeah, you can check out our website, microdosinginstitute.com. Um, uh, join our platform and our community. Yeah. Amazing. And so we are, we'll be including links to the Microdosing Institute, as well as to some of the research that was mentioned throughout the show. So we'll be uh, linking to that as well and a couple other tidbits. So definitely check that out. It's going to be a really helpful starting point to get started with microdosing and more importantly, getting started with your research and preparation of microdosing because the preparation is already itself medicinal in my opinion so 
So once again, hi, and thanks for That's joining for sure. me today. And I uh, hope this is the first of many conversations. And I hope to really engage more with the microdosing and myself. So once again, uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Okay. Thank you too, David, for the opportunity.